Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here is your host, John Inglesby. Voice America listeners, welcome to Masters Week and my 350th ever show of all around sports. Reach Monday at noon Eastern Time. We broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this weekend and what's ahead for the week. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-866-472-5788, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www.iirsportsoneword.com. As always, I will give you my highlights lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week. Also, we'll be joined next segment by our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Studham, veteran multimedia personality who covers Alabama football and many other sports as well. Well, my highlight of the week was the NCAA semifinal on Saturday, featuring the spectacular game between Virginia and Auburn. I watched it at a... Virginia Alumni Association viewing party at an establishment literally on the ground level of Fenway Park, and it was two floors packed with Cavalier fans, and who knew there were that many Virginia fans uh, and graduates, alumni, living in Boston. So it was an incredibly energized atmosphere. Virginia, as you know, has not been to the Final Four since the early 80s, and it was just electric in Auburn. Of course, who they played had never been there to the Final Four, so it was just a tremendous atmosphere, tremendous game, which of course leads immediately to my lowlight of the week, which is the way it ended, and particularly the missed double dribble with the ref right behind it, trailing the play. Uh, The Virginia guard, uh, the ball bounced off his foot as he was dribbling. And in a one in a million situation, it basically only went a foot or two from his foot. He just picked it right up and began another dribble. Everyone in unison, not exactly in real time at the moment it happened, But quickly thereafter, everyone agreed it was absolutely positively a violation, double dribble. And uh, so just an unfortunate uh, set of circumstances and highly unusual play. And they they were saying, the announcers and Gene Steratore and the like afterwards, because uh, typically when a ball goes off a dribbler's foot, It goes too far away from him for him to pick it up. So it's a rarely, rarely uh, seen or called scenario. That, of course, led to an absolutely remarkable ending where Kyle Guy drained a three-pointer from the right corner. And then, before you know it, he was fouled at the buzzer 
from the left corner where he drained three, repeat, three of the most most pressure-packed free throws you'll ever see in uh, any form, any level of basketball, NBA or college. And that was that. So Auburn was left in just a state of shock. Of course, the foul call on the court, as opposed to the double dribble, in real time, the foul call was hotly debated, certainly by the Auburn uh, coach, Bruce Pearl, as well as players and the fans. And uh, something you rarely hear was just for a long time, many minutes after the game, you could just hear the Auburn fans booing away. Again, it started with kind of the uh, foul on the three-point shot. But again, there's really no dispute there. You know, it's pretty common that uh, the shooter has a right to have his landing spot, and they explained it very well, uh, where the Auburn defender uh, attempted to defend him, yet uh, moved towards him and landed in a different spot, basically in the shooter's landing spot, uh, preventing him from landing. Uh, And that's clearly a foul. Uh, but then I think the realization set in with the Auburn fans in attendance up in Minneapolis that, uh, you know, the missed double dribble. And I think that prompted a lot of the uh, lengthy and long-lasting booing that you were just hearing in the background for, again, many, many minutes after the game ended. You just don't hear that very often. So, memorable uh game for some for the wrong reasons and uh so just an incredible uh incredible ending uh any way you cut it for good and for bad and in the other semifinal texas tech showed uh what they're all about by basically uh almost manhandling if you will michigan state Uh, And by that, I mean they basically uh, were in control of the game, it seemed, uh, throughout. And uh, Michigan State, of course, is a blue blood. Uh, So you're not used to seeing them basically uh, handled. Uh, Texas Tech has had just a fabulous season, over 30 wins, uh, as did Michigan State. And and they showed they're ready for primetime, no doubt about it. And so tonight... uh, we are probably going to see a low-scoring game, uh, given both teams have great defenses. Uh, Virginia is known for their deliberate style of play, and I think they made uh, the point in the post-game show after the Michigan State game, after both games were played, that uh, it may have been uh, the first time all four teams scored less than 60, I think it was, um, which is pretty amazing. So... Uh, still got one left tonight. Should be fun. And, uh, yeah, Auburn, or excuse me, Virginia versus Texas Tech National Championship game to uh, spruce up our Monday night. So it should be great. And that, of course, leads into Masters Week. Uh, I know some people from CBS, and it's one of their favorite turnarounds of the year where uh, a lot of the CBS crew, including Jim Nance, most notably, 
is always broadcasts uh, Final Four weekend, and then uh, soon we'll be on a plane tonight, if not first thing tomorrow, and down to Augusta for the week. So nothing like Masters week. I think it's uh, right there with Super Bowl week uh, for just the sense of anticipation. Uh, nothing says spring like the Masters. And so it's going to be absolutely terrific. And uh, we're all looking forward to that. My bizarre story of the week, back to basketball, is what a difference a year makes as the NCAA Women's Final Four legend, Rika Abumake of Notre Dame, who is a legend, literally, for draining those two buzzer beaters last year, uh, first in the semifinal and then to win the national championship. Uh, with Notre Dame down two versus Baylor last evening, uh, missed the front end of two free throws, with a second or two left that would have tied the game, she missed the front end, and she just basically, her whole body just sunk. And again, you talk about going from a high to a low in a period of literally 365 days. You'll never see a better example than that. And then it appeared on the second free throw where she had to miss it. She was trying to miss it, and of course, she made it. Uh, which really sealed the fate for Notre Dame, the same Notre Dame who had beaten UConn uh, on Friday night. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, just incredible to see the high from last year versus the low from this year for one of the greatest clutch players in the history of women's basketball and 80% free throw shooter, Everybody expected her, like Kyle Guy for Virginia on Saturday night, uh, to just drain those free throws, and we were going to overtime. That's why we love sports. You never know. You just never know. And uh, so Tampa, it was down in Tampa. I was down there covering the Valspar tournament and already, and certainly into uh, middle of last week, the city of Tampa was really fired up, signs all over the place. People were rolling in last week for the women's Final Four, and uh, they played at Amelie Arena, a great arena where the Tampa Bay Lightning play, of course, and it was just terrific. All games were sold out, which means over 20,000 people for the two semifinal games on Friday night and uh, the national championship last night. Uh and oh, hats off to Baylor. That's now their third national championship. Interestingly, they win. There's been a seven-year gap between each of them. Uh, last one was 2012. The one before that was 2005. So lucky seven for, uh, for Baylor. And uh, so hard to believe basketball, college basketball is going to end tonight. But I think it's been... A great couple weeks, it always is, March Madness, nothing quite like it, uh, both on the men's and women's side, and let's hope tonight's game uh, delivers uh, like the women's national, final, national championship did. So now, let's take our break, and next up will be our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham, so don't go anywhere. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And I'm your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is one 866 472-5788, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Studham, veteran multimedia personality who covers Alabama football and many other sports as well, joins us. And A.P., how you doing today? Hey, good morning, John. How are you? Doing great, thank you. Um, well, I was thinking of you on Saturday, uh, when Auburn, in their first ever Final Four appearance, uh, they're ending against Virginia. You're, you're located in Alabama, and there have to be a lot of hearts broken down there. That was just an incredible, incredible ending. Yeah, it was a historic moment for Auburn University and the state of Alabama, their first team in the Final Four, and Auburn was on their way to a victory in the last closing moments and had a big turnaround with the no call at midcourt on the yes, double well, as dribble. Yes, I discussed in the first segment, uh, there was not the, the now famous missed double dribble, which led to Virginia, Kyle Guy making a three from the right corner, getting fouled on in a three from the uh, left corner, all in the final seconds. He drains three foul shots and... Auburn, and then it was really after that when the double dribble came to light, clear violation as it turned out. And uh, but in real time, the foul call, giving him three free throws, was also uh, largely and roundly booed by Auburn fans, who basically booed for the better part of 15 minutes after that game. Um, so it was just incredible. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was an elementary call, and right in the center of the court, and in one of the most intense moments of the game. And uh, it, I think the referee, uh, the official, was anticipating the call. He did not live for the moments we all struggled to do. Exactly right, AP. Well said. Uh, you know, when you look at the film, and we've all seen it now a hundred times, but it's uh, there's a referee just with the perfect angle trailing the play by literally five, six feet right behind literally the foot of the Virginia player. And it just leads to the question again, you know, how do you, how do you miss that call? It, it's not unlike the missed interference in the uh, NFC championship game uh, uh, against the, with the Rams and the saints, where again, you know, I, I, you typically don't pick it up until the third or fourth time you've seen it. And then once you see it, you can't get over it because in both instances, the, re- the ref was right there in absolutely perfect position to make the call. Um, but yeah, like, like when I finally noticed it, I couldn't believe how perfectly positioned the ref was literally six feet behind the Virginia's player foot. But it was just an incredible AP. They explained it. I'm sure you heard it too. I mean, where they basically said it's so rare that somebody dribbles the ball off his foot and that doesn't bounce too far away for the player to pick it right up and resume another dribble. Well, not resume, start another dribble. That's the issue. But in this case, it's, it's as it always is, it's like a one in a million, so to speak. It just doesn't happen with the ball just basically laying there the minute it hit his foot. No, absolutely, yeah. So, but the official, they all of them missed it, I guess. No one saw yep. the play, and and I think, as I said, that he was anticipating the foul, and his mind was just so concentrated on making sure he blew the whistle at that uh, particular moment, you know, to not to let any second run off the clock. So he just completely, uh, you know. Didn't see that off his foot and picked it up again, started dribbling. And I think the Auburn player, his eyes kind of lit up when that happened as well. Right. Well, you're making the perfect point, which uh, I had not really focused on. It was, but I did in real time watching the game. It was just incredible to see both teams with fouls to give at the end of that game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which was you just rarely ever see it, even one team with fouls to give, and they each had a couple. So, yeah, so that's what it was. They were trying. They were. You were absolutely right, AP. I'm glad you pointed it, pointed it out. The refs, like everybody else, was just anticipating an instant foul to upset the rhythm and, you know, stopping play to prevent Virginia from having, like, a smooth uh, – you know, a, a smooth final shot, shall we say, or a heave or whatever it's going to be. But, yes, uh, yes. So, yeah, you're right. Everybody was anticipating rather than, uh, you know, dealing with what they were literally seeing in front of their eyes. You know, that, that, mm. uh, that it's, it's understandable. I mean, it's human nature, and that's the way the end of that game had called, it was called because it was happening on the other end, too. And they were fouling Texas Tech, and Texas Tech was fouling Virginia. So it was a crazy ending in that regard. Uh, uh, You know, it's it's funny that in that game, John, when I was talking with some other people during the week, I was hoping that Auburn would not shoot that well in that game but win by a point or two 
because I thought if they didn't shoot well the first game, they'd light it up in the final. Well, they were, I think, 3 for 14, 3 for 15, maybe in the first half from the, from the arc, and then they picked it up in the second half. Bryce Brown had a couple, and they were down by 10 points and came back, had a 14 nothing run, and they were on their way to a victory, and then those set of circumstances, Jared Harper, and that's the person you wanted on the free throw line for Auburn, the spectacular point guard, and he missed that second one, so it was only a two-point lead, and then the Virginia player, to his credit, made three in a row, which we saw that in one of the other games. I think it was Purdue where he was fouled in the corner on a three-point shot against maybe Tennessee, I think it was. Right. And he only made two. He only made two out of three. So it just you have to give um, you know salute to Virginia for making all the three free throws as well. Oh, no doubt about it. Kyle Guy, who right before that, of course, hit the impossible three from the opposite corner to even give them a chance and then uh you, you know ap i don't remember seeing anybody step up to the line with more confidence than he did in draining the three i mean uh, there were it was just a no doubter he's a great shooter to begin with but uh, as evidenced by the three-point shot earlier but uh the, there was it was as close to a no doubter as I think you can find, especially in college basketball, where he just like uh, not three swishes, um, and very, very impressive. I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I don't think there was any question that that was a foul. Oh yes, and then they—you have to remember—they tried to ice him or just come up with their game plan for the third free throw. Correct. Exactly right. They had a yes. timeout. They had a timeout between the second final free throw. Right, right. Um, but at that point, they're down to whatever, 1.6 seconds maybe it was. It's, uh, but anyway, yeah. go, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and we saw last night in the women's game, John, I mean, the best score in Notre Dame history was free throw to tie the ball game. So it's not an automatic. And to make three of them, to, you know, forget one, forget two, three in a row, and it's all on you. And uh, he made them uh, every single one. I mean, that that was a humongous play, without saying. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah, I don't know about you, but, you know, whenever a, th- a player is fouled on a three-pointer there by shooting three, 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 three free throws, I never assume all three are automatic, but you put it in that situation, and it's like <laughs> as challenging as it can possibly get. But you, a- AP, you read my mind. Contrast that with what we saw Kyle Guy from Virginia do with Rika Abumake of Notre Dame, literally perhaps the greatest clutch player in women's basketball history, given her two buzzer beaters last year, uh, one to slay UConn, and uh, you, you know, in the, both in the Final Four, and they won the national championship. And so they're down two. She steps up to the line, eighty percent free throw shooter, maybe the greatest again clutch player. Women's basketball history, and she misses the first one. Her body just like went limp, and then, just as shockingly, trying to miss the second, we assume she made it, yes. which thereby yes. sealed the deal <clears throat> for Baylor. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, she hit that one against Mississippi State last year too, as you said, and and uh, she was a f- fabulous player. I mean. There's nobody I mean, you would have wanted on the free throw line in all of women's basketball. Right. I, I mean, 
they were just, it was a no doubter. I mean, the minute they fouled her, I just said, oh, okay, so we're going to overtime. I didn't even think twice about it. I just, she's at the line, we're going to overtime. And so, better and worse, AP, that's the beauty of sports. That was just, like, simply incredible. And, uh, you know, hats off to Baylor, who suddenly, you know, has three national championships, each space seven years apart this year, 2012, 2005. And, uh, you know, and again, good for them. And, uh, you know, that just moves them to the next level of, you know, just a handful of teams that have won three or more. Yeah, they joined Tennessee and the University of Connecticut uh, having three or more. And it might have been Notre Dame. They had the two. So they were both uh, jockeying for a position to earn that place in women's basketball folklore. Correct. Well, I was down in Tampa, you know, the last couple of weeks for covering the Valspar, as you know, but uh, also last week right in downtown Tampa, uh, you know, Amelie Arena, where the Lightning play, and uh, the whole city of Tampa was just electric in anticipation of the Final Four. People were rolling in early last week, and signs everywhere in every hotel on the street corners, you name it, and... Uh, and hats off to them, AP. It's they sold out. Of course, both games Friday night, last night's game, and that's over twenty thousand people uh, that Amelie seats. So Tampa put on quite a show. But it was obvious to me in the days leading up to it uh, that they were really ready and, and fired up. And it was really fun to be there uh, through through Thursday of last week and and really see the anticipation building. Sports writers were rolling in, <laughs> which is something you and I always notice, and things like that. So it was great, and Amelie Arena is just a fabulous uh, arena with the big plaza outside where you know people watch Lightning Game on the big screen um, and assemble before the game in shorts and T-shirts. And that, that same thing was happening, of course, over the weekend for women's college basketball. So I'm sure they're just thrilled, to say the least, uh, as to how well it went in Tampa. Yeah, they're good, Host John. They've had they the are. Super Bowl, and I've been there for the SEC men's basketball tournament as well. And then they're going to go back there, I think, in a couple of years to have that event in Tampa. Right, and you were there for the national championship, Clemson, Alabama, a couple Nash- of years ago, as was That's I. Right. That's right, national championship game, sure. So they do a good job, and the logistics is uh, terrific downtown. You can walk yes. around be a part of so many things. It's so easy to get around down there, you know, great road system, you know, and in addition to Tampa, you have St. Pete and Clearwater, two major cities in and of themselves comprising the Bay Area. And yeah, and oh, by the way, uh, Tampa's hosting the Super Bowl in two years, in this past February, and this year, as in February 2020, uh... Miami's hosting it, so uh, you and I like that, AP. We're, we're Florida fan, fans of Florida, and uh, the next two Super Bowls will be held in the state of Florida, which is great for uh, early February, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we look forward to those events that we, we can make it down. Yeah. Uh, what can you say? Florida is just uh, a, a great place to hold uh, championship events in the winter period it's it just doesn't get any better than that in the continental u.s so 
That's going to be great. And uh, AP, hard to believe we've come to the end of our first segment. So why don't we take a break now? And uh, we have lots to get to on the other side. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to all around sports with your host john inglesby become a part of today's show by calling 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net now back to the show voice america listeners welcome back to segment three of all around sports and i am your host john inglesby to join the show, the call-in number is 1-866-472-5788, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And back on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham, veteran multimedia personality who covers Alabama football and many other sports as well. And A.P., we talked, of course, Final Four, both men's and women's in the previous segment, but there's so much going on in the world of basketball this weekend, uh, it's tough to keep up with it all. But... That said, we had some uh, Hall of Fame announcements as well, and uh, so it just makes for, it's truly a celebration of the game of basketball. So uh, the first one was the Naismith. Uh, What did you think of their uh, inductees for 2019 that were inducted this past weekend? Yeah, it's an interesting cross-section of players and coaches and uh, familiar names. Uh, One name that I I look at, I looked at was Paul Westfall. I remember him playing for USC on the, some of their greatest teams. And the only reason they didn't get into the tournament is because they had to play UCLA twice, and they lost against them probably uh, twice that year, so they didn't make the NCAA tournament. But he was a fantastic player. He was a five-time All-Star in the NBA, and he was on that 1974 Boston Celtics team. And I, uh, I remember him uh, making that twist-around move uh, years later, I think when he played for Phoenix against the Celtics. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I think he had been traded at that time. The famous triple and overtime they, game. Yeah, that's what I remember that play. That's right, because right. he had been traded yeah. for Charlie Scott, and they swapped right. places, and and uh, they went against each other in that triple overtime game. And that's I just remember him coming down the court making a spin move near the basket for two points. That was his signature play of his career, I believe, and in what was maybe the greatest, arguably the greatest basketball game ever played. And, uh, you know, that's one of those you remember where you were. 
when you watch that game and from the old Boston Garden. And AP, it was more than just that shot. Paul Westfall dominated the back end of that game. He really did. Um, he was just unstoppable late in that game and into the overtimes. And uh, so I think that's when he really, really got into the national consciousness put the exclamation point on just a fabulous career but yes and, and I, I mean it's great and, and i did say earlier that they were inducted they were basically announced and will be inducted yes. on in early september in of course springfield massachusetts and uh at the basketball hall of fame but another one that really caught my eye because uh was jack sigma from the seattle supersonics he played on that championship game with Gus Williams and Dennis Johnson that, of course, beat the Baltimore Bullets <laughs> with Wes Unseld. And, uh, well, they had Gus Johnson. And then, of course, the Supersonics had Gus Williams. Um, right, right. And uh, I think downtown Brown, too. Correct. Exactly. Um, just fabulous. I think they played two years back-to-back. Championship. Yeah, I think it, yeah, other. Washington Seattle. I think it was two years back to back, John. I think it was one. one Washington won in whatever yep. year it was, and then uh, Seattle won the other time. Yes, I think it was seventy. Was the Washington one? Maybe Seattle won in seventy nine, or uh, I think that's what it was. Yeah, and of course, the, the, those Bullets teams had the likes of uh, you know Wes Unseld and uh, Earl the Pearl Monroe before he went to the Knicks. I mean. Incredible. You had Alvin Hayes, the Big E. Yeah, the Big E. Nothing like him. And uh, and another player who, you know, was famous in college and just as famous in the pros, of course, Sidney Moncrief from Arkansas, who later played, of course, for the Milwaukee Bucks. And, uh, you know, just a tremendous player. And, you know, he's a classic example of what I consider my criteria for the Hall of Fame, which is simply, you know, is he a, are they a household name? And if they're a household yeah. name and they have the statistics to back it up, uh, then to me, that's that's what defines a Hall of Famer. And certainly Sidney Moncrief was that. Anybody with a mild interest in basketball, going back to that era, absolutely knows Sidney Moncrief. Yeah, he, he was the one for me who put Arkansas on the map for college right. basketball. One of the triplets of Marvin Delph. And Ron Brewer, they led the, uh, the 1978 team to the Final Four. Oh, absolutely! I think I think Notre Dame beat them on the map. You know, catchy name, a name you remembered, and uh, and yes, he was just terrific. And uh, of course, I think maybe that one of the highlights of his career would have been, uh, you know, when they when they swept the Boston Celtics in the mid '80s, uh, as in the Larry Bird Boston Celtics. Uh, and you know, I, 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 nobody ever thought, forgot that. That's the one where Larry Bird went home and basically shot jumpers for 12 hours a day, the entire summer. <laughs> <laughs> he was so embarrassed. And, yeah, and then that's what led to, that, that's, exactly, exactly. So yeah. And then another, speaking of defensive players, Bobby Jones, um, you know, from the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, you know, in that great team of uh, of the 80s. And, you know, they won with Moses Malone, that crew, I believe it was, and uh, Andrew Toney, 
Maurice Cheeks. Um, oh, and someone named Dr. J. <laughs> um, so, right, right. Bob, if you if you look back on that team, I mean, you know, Bobby Jones was the steady player, um, consistent, always took you know always defended the other team's best player. So, well deserved is also a star-studded team to say the least. Yeah, and he was on the all-defensive team. 11 of his 12 professional seasons in the ABA and the NBA, and, and then he averaged 12 points, and he was sixth man of the year as well. Right, yeah, it, right. exactly. And he, he was the classic sixth man. It was like uh, they, they, they took a page from the Celtics. Uh, you know, he's probably right behind, like, literally uh, John Havlicek is perhaps, you know, the second greatest sixth man ever i mean he was that instant energy off the bench whether it was providing some offense which he could certainly bring or shutting down the you know the opponent's best player uh when it was most needed so yeah um quite a class i would say so uh springfield this september it should be great yeah and uh john you mentioned john havlicek i think it's his 79th birthday today Yes, John Havlicek, for sure. Um, he, of course, played college basketball. We all know what he did with the Celtics, but never forget that he played college basketball for Ohio State with uh, Jerry Lucas and uh, their sixth man, speaking of sixth men, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Bob Knight. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, never forget that. They, they were an incredible. They, they were like UCLA before UCLA, it seemed back in the early 60s, as in 60, 61, that time frame. But AP, you also mentioned there was another, uh, that wasn't the only Hall of Fame class that was announced, correct? Right, they had the the College Basketball Hall of Fame, and that's in Kansas City. And that was announced, um, uh, I think it was probably beginning of the month, but we didn't get a chance to discuss. But one of my favorite players of all time, and Many people enjoyed his, his antics on the court with Ernie DiGregorio, a fabulous passer and scorer for the Providence College Friars. And his team went to the 1973 Final Four, four along with Marvin Barnes. And if it wasn't for Marvin Barnes getting injured in the Memphis game when they were way ahead and Memphis came back to beat them, they probably would have faced UCLA for the second time. And that would have been quite a ball game since uh, when Larry, uh, Bill Walton played in that game, he had 21 of 22 shots for 44 points against Memphis, but it could have been a rematch of Providence and UCLA for the championship in 1973. I think that was held in St. Louis. Correct. You're right. You are. I remember it all very well. Well, the way I look at Ernie DiGregorio is, um, you know, I was kid. I was a kid. I'm guessing you were too. And Ernie DiGregorio was the kind of guy where, when you watched him play. Basically, every teenager in America was running out to their driveway to <laughs> try some of his moves, his passes, his creativity. He was yeah. in the, you know, you know, in in like uh, uh, almost a clone, if you will, of Pete Maravich. It seems to me just spectacular. And he, more than any other player, he put Providence on the map once and for all, along with Marvin Barnes. Of course, they were already on the map with uh, the team and went in the early 70s with Howard Porter. 
But it was Ernie, you know, I, I, I think when anybody thinks of Providence basketball, it's Ernie Gregorio is the poster child, even above Kevin Stakem. Oh, yeah. In the early years, they had uh, Johnny Egan, who was a guard alongside Jerry West. And yes. they had Lenny Wilkins and uh, Jimmy Walker and uh, Ray Flynn, the former mayor of Boston. They had a succession of guards, which You're was right. phenomenal. It was right in a row, all those, all those people that we mentioned. Yeah, and how could I forget Jimmy Walker? He actually came to my small town in Pennsylvania play my alma mater, St. Francis, in like 1964, and it was a happening, a big happening. And uh, right, yeah. But, you know, even with all those names you just added, and boy, you're, it's an amazing history. And then you throw in, you know, Dave Gavitt as your coach at various points, along with Jack Kraft. Uh, but, you know, even with all that, AP, I, I still think, you know, if it were a Jeopardy question and they said name one Providence College basketball player, I think most people are coming back with Ernie D., yeah, I think so. He was flamboyant. He was a yep. and he was a good shooter too. Good, an excellent scorer. Oh, yes. Besides his passing, I mean, and he threw passes behind the back. I don't mean the player right. was uh, ten feet away. He might have been thirty feet away. He'd be throwing a right. behind the back pass on the run, and somebody would make a layup. Exactly right, AP. Well, good description. Flamboyant and just again. And there's no higher compliment I can give to anybody, uh, certainly in basketball, where you can, like, go in your driveway alone after what you just saw. And, you know, for me, Ernie D. Gregorio was one of those uh, handful of people that are like that. You know, I, I, I'm thinking Calvin Murphy and Rick Mount, of course, Maravich, and, and Ernie D. is you know, he's, he's in the top five, I, I think, for especially for everybody who loves, you know, a small guard who basically dominates the game, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, and, and he was the NBA Rookie of the Year in 1974, and then I'll never forget, John, they had a memorable matchup with the Russian basketball team yes. in 1973 in Madison Square Garden, and he threw some behind-the-back passes to Bill Walton, and I think his teammate Marvin Barnes was on, the, on that squad as well, and that was after uh, the United States had lost in 1972 right. on a controversial play in Munich, Germany, to the Russian national team. So that was a, a big moment. Uh, I don't know. I haven't spoken to anybody who was at that game, but I'm sure I could if I just asked some of my friends. But that was televised, and uh, that was a, uh, a fabulous event. Oh, a tremendous event, yes. The, the, that's when uh, international basketball really, really meant something. And, you know, and it all started, of course, with the... Uh, ultra controversial <laughs> call allowing uh, the Russians to beat the Americans in '72. Uh, you know, uh, there'll never be anything like that again. Maybe in sports history, <laughs> certainly in international basketball. Uh, and but yeah, Ernie D. I love it. And uh, you know, we have some other interesting players as well in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, but why don't we take our final break now, and we'll talk about some of the other uh, household names that were announced as well after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to all around sports with your host john inglesby become a part of today's show by calling 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net now back to the show we're america listeners welcome back to the fourth and final segment of all around sports I'm your host, John Inglesby, and back on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham, veteran multimedia personality who covers Alabama football and many other sports as well. And my pick of the week for appointment viewing is tonight's national championship game, 9 p.m. Eastern between uh, Virginia and Texas Tech. Should be a good one. And uh, and when that's done, when you can wake up tomorrow morning and basically uh, – Start to enjoy Masters Week. Um, it's going to be great. Produced Terry Dishinger and Stanford's Todd Lichty, along with coaches Lou Olson, uh, Rick Majerus from Utah, and Valparaiso's Homer Drew. Lou Olson, of course, won a national championship with Arizona. So, AP, uh, quite an impressive class. Yeah, that really is. And of course, you look at those coaches, Lou Olson and. Um, Rick Majerus and then Homer Drew with Valparaiso primarily. And he was like a top assistant with um, uh, the coach of LSU, Dale oh, Brown, Homer Drew. Larry Johnson in those great back-to-back years against uh, Final Four games against Duke. Uh, and he was a force, uh, a true force um, on those UNLV teams who played in just, again, Many memorable games with Jerry Tarkanian as their coach, and uh, and then those back-to-back years where they blew out Duke uh, the first time, and the second time Duke came back to beat them when they were considered unbeatable. So, uh, famous player to say the least. Yeah, he was a powerful forward. Had a nice jump shot, and uh, he was the best player on that UNLV team that won the championship. And yeah, I always remember him with that gold tooth as well. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, and 
a great commercial. Like that's what that's how he became a household name. I mean, he had game in a big way, but that commercial, Grandmama, just put it over the top, and everybody knew who he was. That's for sure. That that commercial had a had a long life in the world of Madison Avenue, to say the least. Oh yeah, and then Shane Battier he was the Player of the Year once or twice for Duke, and uh, he led them to a lot of victories. And it's it's a it's a great class. Oh, it really is. It really is. Um, so yeah, uh, all basketball all weekend, to put it mildly. Uh, so AP, we've arrived at Masters Week. You yourself have been there recently. Uh, for the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, I've had the good fortune to have been there last year for uh, the Saturday round, moving day, and I'm heading back, uh, going down tomorrow, and I'm fortunate enough to be attending Wednesday's practice round, but perhaps more importantly, uh, the par three on Wednesday, so can't wait, you've been there, there's just Nothing like it. Uh, to me, Masters Week is is right right behind Super Bowl Week is the best week of the year for sports fans, especially golf fans. Obviously. Oh yeah. Hopefully the weather will be good and you'll see some good rounds of golf and the competition will be fierce as as it is every every time they have the Masters. It's just quite an event and it comes right after the basketball tournament, which right. will be played tonight. The conclusion, the finals, and. And CBS makes that swing right into the golf. Right. And I, I said at the beginning of the show, AP, that I know some people from CBS and who have all told me there's nothing gets their juices flowing like uh, this 10-day period where, you know, they roll into the Final Four, of course, led by Jim Nance, uh, you know, and uh, they immediately, maybe tonight, certainly first thing in the morning or finish the final four and always immediately roll the next day. It always works in this exact sequence. And then they're, uh, head down to Augusta where they spend the week there. And, uh, of course, Jim Nance is, is, uh, the person we all most associate with both events. And, uh, again, there's just nothing like it. And, uh, yeah, it's just going to be tremendous. The weather does look good. Certainly, uh, uh, for Wednesday and Thursday, uh, the par three has taken on a life of its own. It's uh, three o'clock Eastern, I believe, on Wednesday. I, I can't wait to finally attend my first par three, and then, of course, opening ceremonies Thursday are iconic to get the tournament started. And um, so, yeah, it's just going to be terrific, AP. And again, you you were there. Who won it the year you were there? Uh, Sergio Garcia. Two years ago. Oh, that's a memorable one, to put it mildly. His first major. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah, yeah. I was fortunate to be on the 15th um, green hole when he made that shot. It, it really propelled him to victory. The shot he had to make. I remember that shot. Uh, yeah, well, you, you and I are both lucky, lucky to say the least, uh, to be able to uh, get there. I also had the pleasure of going to a practice round in 2009 where I saw <laughs> Vijay Singh uh, on the 16th hole, the famous par three over the water, where what the players do at, that, on, at practice rounds is they skip the ball over the water, like when you were a kid skipping a rock across a lake. 
<laughs> and I saw VJ Singh, and it's famous. You can go on Google right now and just type in VJ Singh, uh, hole in one skipping, <laughs> and it still pops <laughs> up to this day. AP, and he skipped it in over the water for a hole, and it went right in the hole. Never forget it. It was, it was an Augusta roar on a Tuesday. People still talk about it. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's something. Yeah. That's, yeah, you don't see those like uh, playing pool except it's on grass. <laughs> exactly right. Again, uh, yeah. So, and one of the beauty, you know, not to ever compare a practice round with a tournament round, and I've done both. Thank goodness, luckily. Uh, but the one nice thing about the practice rounds, AP, is you can bring your phones and your camera and take pictures, which you cannot do on tournament day. So uh, no. when you go to Augusta, there, there's a lot to be said for coming coming away with some pictures. Oh, we absolutely have your battery charged and your, <laughs> your, and your trigger finger ready to shoot some photos. Well said. Have your battery charged. Uh, or, or hopefully yeah, have, have a power pack or... or uh, here's another beauty of Augusta for anyone who hasn't been there and doesn't know it's free parking right beside the course so you can always run to your car and uh, and plenty of parking by the way you can always run to your car and recharge if you have to and uh, again there's just nothing like it uh, prices frozen in 1950s you can get a drink uh, egg salad sandwich and a pimento cheese sandwich for like 10 bucks if that so it's it's great and uh ap it's it's going to be a great week watching it so i uh, can't wait yeah, yeah look forward to it and, and john we got a little basketball game tonight and i'll Correct. say that i think i think texas tech might take this game i'm thinking i kind of have that feeling too uh there's just the way they've been playing the way virginia <clears throat> Pulled out two games in basically miracle fashion. Uh, sometimes luck runs out. We'll see. Uh, Virginia has not forgotten what happened last year when they were first number one seed, let alone um, overall seed ever to lose to a 16. And I think it's driving them. But AP, it's going to be great. So I look forward to to us and all of America watching tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Virginia won as well. It's a tight ball right. game. It's the, pro, the, the line is probably one, one or two points, something like that. No doubt about it. Way P, hard to believe we're at the end of the show, but I just want to thank you as always for calling in. My pleasure, John. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, AP. And as always, thank you all for listening to All Around Sports. And we look forward to doing it all again next Monday at noon Eastern time. Thanks again for tuning into All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week.